0: It took about five months off no big deal but we are back and we are going beyond the box score here on fantasy football today everybody's favorite nerdy trio is back adam azer with dan schneier and Jacob Gibbs. we got to talk
2: about what these guys are wearing. Well, that's what I was going to say. We used to be nerdy until Jacob showed up all jacked up and ripped up on the podcast, not even wearing a full shirt on there. So I think we're trying to turn—maybe we're trying to change the narrative here and go from the nerds away from the nerd uh, look.
0: No, yeah, you wouldn't get this reference since you don't watch good movies, but he went from being <laughs> a, a tri-lamb to an alpha-beta uh, <laughs> during the off season. But, uh, yeah, Jacob's ripped. He's He's got a tank top on. What Are these Traps? what are these yeah (laughs) yeah adam's like i've never had those what are those things yeah i've never seen them before he's a trap back he's got his traps and dan has a dan has a collared shirt that's even more it's more surprising to me that dan wears like
2: a short sleeve collared shirt i'm not a collared shirt kind of guy typically but um i figured i'd spice it up a little bit i get a little fancier once i saw jacob in the in the uh you know what what do i don't want to call that what i was about to call that the the word we probably shouldn't use to term those types no, of things it's called it a tank top we'll call it a tank top I'm watching a little too much sopranos lately we'll call it a tank top <laughs> but um once i saw that jack jacob in the tank top i knew i couldn't wear anything close to that i had to hide my you know physique so i yeah. it's a good way to hide it
0: good job so jacob let's talk about what we're planning on doing for uh the next several weeks maybe months here on beyond the box score because you know the, the premise of it is to give you guys a little bit of a deeper dive on either mainstream topics maybe during the season or you know throughout the offseason but today specifically we're going to talk about you know rookie gems late round yeah. picks in a lot of cases in the NFL draft guys that you may not even know who they are or what team they play for um, but some second rounders some third rounders as well uh, but but just overall what the beyond the box score audience can expect in the coming weeks
3: yeah, I think this episode really is the perfect one to kick it off because we are going to mention some names that you guys probably have never even heard of. Uh, but yeah, Beyond the Box where I am just so excited for. Uh, it's something that just kind of came together organically. Last year during the season, we weren't we, we didn't plan it out or anything. It was just like, do you want to record this Monday recap show with Dan? I never even recorded with Dan before. And honestly, I, I got to talk about Dan for a second. We give Dan a hard time a lot on this show, but the way that Dan... We do. like he Yeah, I know. It-
0: we do. You're right. We do have to talk about Dan, and we do have to give him a hard time. You're 100% yeah. right.
3: <laughs> I think Dan gets it worse than anybody I've recorded with. He gets so much crap. But like, Dan is a catalyst, man. Dan is a catalyst. The way that he approaches analysis, I think, really embodies what Beyond the Box score is about. Like When I recorded with Dan, Dan, you probably remember this after the first episode last year. I was like, yo, we've got something special here. Like This is really cool. I'm really excited for this. And as the season went on, people caught on. Like people were like, this is really cool. Like, where's beyond the box score? This offseason people were like, Where's beyond the box score? So had to hit up Adam, had to make it real. And yeah, that's kind of what I've been working on for the past um, few months, in addition to draft stuff, is just kind of getting stuff set up for the rest of the offseason. Cause this is this is really a passion project for us. Um, and I think we've gonna we're gonna create some really cool stuff. So um the main thing is we've got All kinds of guests coming in, because I think we have the potential to create something um, that is unique in the space and really helps contextualize things for people. And to accomplish that, we're going to lean on some really, really um, smart people from around the industry. So Matt Harmon of Reception Perception and Yahoo Fantasy is going to be joining us for multiple episodes um, an in-depth analysis of the wide receiver position. If you aren't familiar with Matt, you definitely need to check out uh, his wide receiver charting. He goes through and grades every route for wide receivers, um, the success versus man coverage versus zone coverage versus press coverage. So you guys, if you're familiar with the show, you hear me talk about these things a lot, um, giving you the stats and the results, um, which I think is kind of a descriptive, um, It's it's a way to describe what's happened. What Matt does is he goes and looks at the actual routes and grades it. So I think it could possibly be a little bit more predictive, um, of what might happen in the future. He's giving the actual success, which takes, um, you know, you don't have to worry about context as much with quarterback play and everything else. So I think that episode's going to be really cool. Um, we just got a ton of really exciting guests. Dwayne McFarland is probably the only person who looks at per route data as much as I do. Mm. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to him. Um, and then Ben Gretsch, former, uh, frequent FFT contributor, um, is going to come on and talk about, uh, projections, the pitfalls of projections, the importance of projections and, uh, going to help educate Adam on anti-fragility. Adam, do you feel like you, do you feel like you understand anti-fragility? That was something Dan and I gave you a hard time about last year.
0: What was it again?
3: (laughs) Anti-fragility. You can't tell if he's kidding or not. I know. I really don't know. It'll
0: come back to me. It'll come back to me.
3: (laughs) So Ben and, uh, Sean Siegel, uh, creator of the zero RB strategy are going to come on and talk to us about that. Just really, really smart guys. And that's just a, a sample um, of some of the guests that we have coming on to just smart working, smart guys, hardworking guys, super um, open-minded forward-thinking guys to just help contextualize what we know about the game, um, help educate and inform on what we think is important, what's not important, and uh, just elevate your experience uh, as a football fan, as a fantasy player. So super, super, super excited. It's going to be a really, really fun summer.
0: Okay. So let's get into it here. We're talking about some, some rookie gems and some potential Packers playmakers. That's our mm. first category. And I'm going to tell you, Jacob did a great job putting these notes together. Um, Jacob has this mm. idea that I'm really busy <laughs> and that I can't do it. So he did it for me. I wasn't going to argue with him. So uh, you wanted to talk about second-round wide receiver J- Jaden Reed. And, Dan, you wanted to talk about tight end Luke Musgrave. But, Jacob, what do you want us to know about Jaden Reed?
3: So Jaden Reed was somebody who was definitely under the radar until he became a top 50 pick. I think you're going to be hearing his name a lot more as the offseason goes on. Um, you have to squint to see it. But if you do, you will find a potential top to Jaden's Reed. Um, his range of outcomes that I think isn't there when you you know first glance at his rookie profile. The numbers are not super exciting as a whole. Um, he's 23 years old, um, but the light does exist. There is a potential, I think, uh, fantasy relevant wide receiver here, JJ Zachariasen, um, and player profiler have seen it. They both list Stefan Diggs as a comp for Jaden Reed. Um, and then I mentioned Matt Harmon of reception perception. He has seen it as well. He really likes Jaden Reed and thinks this is a great fit in green Bay. And obviously the Packers have seen it. They took him 50th overall. So he broke out at an extremely young age, uh, at Western Michigan, he was in a really bad offense, but he still produced 800 receiving yards. And that was with second round pick Dwayne Eskridge on the team. And so Reed recorded 800 yards, eight touchdowns to Eskridge, 776 and three, um, as a true freshman. And then he transferred to a Michigan state offense that really wasn't very good. But the more I dug into his route data, I, I do this analysis on Sportsline for all the rookie receivers, look at the types of routes they're running, if they're running NFL level routes, and if they're succeeding on those routes, um, I was really encouraged with Reed. He, he showed an ability to win on the inside from the slot and from the outside, um, and on short, intermediate and deep routes. And I think that is really exciting when he goes to the Green Bay because they don't have a true wide receiver one. They tried to make Romeo Dobbs that player last year. They really used him just like they had used Devontae Adams. Um, and he really wasn't very efficient. Um, and then Christian Watson is a stud, but he really is just kind of a unicorn. He's not running the wide receiver one routes. Um, so I think there's a potential here for Reed to step into that type of a role right away. And at the very least, I think he's going to be on the field in three receiver sets playing from the slot.
0: Okay, and then so the tight end they drafted in the second round was Musgrave, uh, Dan, and you like him?
2: I do. I want to mention a quick note uh, to what Jacob said on Jaden Reed. He's a player who's really interesting to me as a prospect because on my first go-around with it, I was lower on Reed than probably Consensus. And then I heard a couple people in the industry who I really like who watched this film. This was even before Matt Harmon. And I went back and I watched it, and you end up seeing what people like in Jaden Reed, and it's not going to pop out with the forty time, with the size, speed profile, with things that I kind of look for projectable traits. It's going to just pop out with the route running and his ability to get in and out of his breaks smoothly and without, uh, and making that transition without losing a lot of his speed and his momentum, which is something that is big for wide receivers. Like you even hear it with some teams saying right now the number one trait we're looking for is separation and that skill set. So I want to just throw that out there with Reed because I think what Jacob said. That is super important there that he's probably at this point the best bet on that Packers roster to be able to run that full route tree and get and if that's what Jordan Love we still don't know what Jordan Love is going to lock into I'm about to talk about a player who I think he might early lock into but if it is that full route tree type of receiver, the guy who can win with separation easily and early and give those layup type routes for the quarterback, I think it will be Reed. But the other player I'm going to mention, Adam, who you teed me up for is Luke Musgrave, the tight end they drafted, they drafted two tight ends. This was the first tight end they drafted. And when you talk about Musgrave, I think it's really important to start with. Probably our best early hit, I think, on Beyond the Box score. Maybe my only hit, Jacob's had a bunch. But Christian Watson, a player who I brought up in probably the first episode of Beyond the Box score, way before his breakout last season, as a player who I love to break out. And one of the reasons is projectable traits. It's a lot of planet theory. And for those who don't know what planet theory is, it's something George Young, a former Giants GM, created. And it's basically like people at that size shouldn't be able to move the way they can. And that's how I feel with Luke Musgrave. Someone at his size simply should not be able to move the way he is. 80th percentile height, height. he's got 87th percentile 10-yard split. That shows the quickness acceleration. Hand size, 87th percentile, which you want. 88th percentile 40 yard dash almost ran a four six flat at 250 or 260 almost six foot six vertical jump 82nd percentile broad jump 93rd percentile I feel like I'm reading the exact same spider chart as I read with Christian Watson last year so it's clear the Packers have a type but when it comes to Musgrave a lot of what you're going to have to do here is just project because he only had 11 catches in 2022 due to injury but and only two touchdowns his entire Oregon State career but but a lot of that production came in his first two games before he was injured. He had 33% of all Oregon state targets dominating the target share in those first two games. Absolutely looking like a beast that was unguardable on the field. His dad is a former co- uh, quarterback in college and a longtime NFL coach, Bill Musgrave. His mom was an Olympic level skier. He himself was a quarterback who then moved to wide receiver and then tight end and D end high school. That's where he started to develop the position. So he still has a lot of time to grow into it. Former lacrosse player. His mom was also an Olympic skier. He was also a skier. I think you can see, see that in his ability to get in and out of his breaks and his movement skills and kind of just that ability to unlock his hips when he's playing. But really to me where he stands out the most by far, and he was used all over by the way, he's small sample size of games at Oregon state. Cause he got injured, but they used in the games I watched and it was two games. They used him flex out in the slot. They used him a ton from the inline wide position, running the seam, come back to the quarterback. They used him around the line of scrimmage, which I love to see a lot of usage there. But really to me, where he stands out the most by far is his ability to separate on the vertical plane. You saw at the senior bowl, no one could match up with him one-on-one. He just shakes off defenders and just gets on that vertical plane. And I feel like with a quarterback like Jordan Love, not a lot of experience, not a lot of reps. He's going to need some kind of big target early on that he can trust and rely on. And I think there's a good chance Musgrave could be that guy. In addition to obviously, as you've seen through that offense through the years with Aaron Rodgers, there are opportunities in that seam. Robert Tunyon had some success running the seam and he by nowhere near the athlete that Luke Musgrave is. So I'm very excited about him. It's a lot of projection with Musgrave. You're not going on the stats. You're not going on the past production. You're just looking at him and you're saying with those movement skills at that size and to be able to run that fast, I think there's an opportunity for him to just hit the ground running and become a number one type target.
0: All right. Well, listen, I don't think Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave are going to be big priorities in Redraft leagues this year doesn't mean they won't be good free agent pickups. We'll do some rankings in a bit, but this is a great dynasty, uh, you know, dynasty discussion. Maybe some sleepers here. Maybe the Packers had themselves a great draft in the second round in particular, um and I can confirm something really important here for you guys to know and Dan mentioned it. What Dan said about Christian Watson last year, it, I can confirm it was the only thing that he got right <laughs> on Beyond the box score last year. So, I I think <laughs> Jacob you wanted to do some rankings with these guys.
3: Yeah, I'm curious where they fall for people. I think we might be a little bit too high on them, but it's just because of the ambiguous situation in Green Bay, there's a lot of potential like Dan laid out. So are these, you want me to
0: read them or do you want to read them? And are these uh, re- uh, Redraft or Dynasty? Uh,
3: yeah, I can read them. Um, so the first question I had is for either one of you and then I'll get my opinion as well as Jane Reed or Marvin Mims, Josh Downs, and Rasheed Rice. Because I think he typically goes behind all of them except for maybe Downs. But I would I prefer him to all those guys. Uh, and so are you asking or- for, or- for Dynasty?
2: Yeah, okay, for Dynasty. You want to go first or me, Adam?
0: I'll go first. I, I mean, okay. Mims is probably going to be last for me. I'll go with um, Reed Downs Rice Mims. I I, I should know. I'm probably the least qualified to to talk about this. but um, Doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, I go Jaden Reed Downs Rice Mims. Yeah. How about you, Dan?
2: I'm going to stick kind of with my pre-draft evaluations here. I normally typically do this. I don't look too much into the situation with Dynasty. I want to lean on where I see these players. So I'm going to go Marvin Mims still first. He was by far the the receiver of these four. I had ranked the highest. I'm going to go Jaden Reed second. I'm going to go Rasheed Rice third and Josh Downs fourth. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I, I had Mims ahead of him prior to the draft, but I would take Reed over all of them.
0: What do you guys like about Mims? I feel like he's just like a vertical guy.
3: His analytical profile was insane in terms of his per route production. Um, I think that was boosted by the offense that he played in, but there's a we really haven't seen very many players produce the way that he did. Okay. Yeah, and it wasn't just on the vertical plane. It was a lot on the vertical plane, but it was
2: deep overs. It was those search routes that you see at the NFL level, all of the things that like we're seeing offenses start to to uh kind of lean on, I guess, in the passing game or rely on when they need a 10, 15 yard chunk, those deep over routes. That's where I really liked uh, Marvin Mims. I think he's really smooth, getting in and out of his breaks.
3: All right,
0: some more rankings that you wanted to throw out there, Jacob.
3: Yeah, yeah. For Dynasty, just some uh, other young receivers. I'm I'm curious how you guys would compare, like Elijah Moore, Wanda Robinson, and Nico Collins uh, to Jaden Reed. I think people are going to have a hard time, like that's contextualizing hard. Reed and knowing where to place him.
0: Sure, that's hard. I would say Wanda. Wandale Moore Reed Collins.
3: Collins last. Yeah. I like this. We're very different. I actually have Collins first. Wow. I'm really excited for him. Um, and I think I'll go Elijah Moore next and then Reed and then Wando. Uh
2: we all have different rankings then. I would go yeah. Elijah Elijah Moore first by far for me. I'm sticking with my evaluation of Elijah Moore. I'm very excited to see him uh with with Deshaun Watson out of that doghouse. Some I would go Reed second based on early draft capital there. Um even though Wandel had the same capital, I'm a little worried about what the Giants have added since with Jalen Hyatt and Darren Waller, who they then push back some of that contract. So he'll be there at least two or three years. Um, and then Collins would be last for me.
3: Wow. All
0: right. What's our next group ranking here?
3: Yeah. So for Dynasty, again, we're going to go with Musgrave. How would you compare him to Isaiah, oh. Isaiah Likely, Jelani Woods, and Trey McBride?
2: Yeah, so I'll start with this one. For me, it's it's an even bigger teardrop here from Musgrave to the next three. I was very low on Trey McBride in last year's draft class. I couldn't understand why people had him as tight end one. I felt like it was tight end one by default. I had Greg Dolchich as my tight end one. I didn't see much of an NFL skill set for Trey McBride, and yet... I'd have to put him as my tight end, too, of these four, because right. I'm just not going to buy into Isaiah Likely or Jelani Woods, two late-round draft capital guys who one plays behind Mark Andrews and the other plays in an offense I'm not so sure is going to be very pass-heavy.
0: it's got Those two have to be at the top. So I'll go
3: Musgrave, McBride, uh, Likely Woods. See, I actually would put McBride last. Uh, oh, wow. I, I'm and fine I really, with that. <laughs> I, I, I really like what we saw from likely and woods last year. It's a small sample size, but like there were some exciting um, underlying data points for those guys, but I would have Musgrave first. Okay. Want to do the season long stuff now? Yeah, sure. So season long, would you uh, rather have Jaden Reed, Adam Thielen, Jamison Williams, or Rondell Moore? I think everyone would take these three like clearly over him, but I I'm curious if he would surpass any of these guys for you.
0: Maybe Rondell Moore. The thing about Rondell Moore is if you're still hoping for a Hopkins trade, then you've got something there. But if he's the number three receiver on the Cardinals, and yeah. we don't even know if Kyler Murray is going to be ready. I, I mean, I'm definitely going Jamison Williams, one, Thielen, two. And then I'll say I'll take Reed.
2: Look, Williams, one, even with the suspension.
0: Yeah, these guys aren't starters for me. Okay. So I mean, if I have five bench spots and I have to keep him there, then, then maybe not. If I have six bench spots, then that helps. But I'm shooting for upside here. I don't think Thielen, Thielen is definitely at the end of his of his career. And I don't think he's gonna be that good. So yeah, well let's I mean let's not forget who Jameson Williams is. He could still be yeah. a high impact player here. Uh so Williams is an easy one for me. Then Thielen, that's fine. I'll take Reed over more, but uh, you know, if, if there's still the chance of Hopkins getting traded, I'll take more over Reed.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's a good analysis of it, Adam. I'm pretty aligned with it, but I think I would have just kind of a clear tier one would be Williams and Reed uh, with the option of potentially Reed being the one out of this four. It, Whoa. It, yeah, I think, I, look, none of these four besides Reed to me have a chance at big target volume. Reed's the only one I see with any kind of real target volume potential. If what you broke down earlier when you talked about what you liked about Reed is true, where it's like, you know, Jordan Love just trusts him because he's getting open on those layup routes. He's running, he's creating the early separation so Love doesn't have to sit in the pocket for three, four, five seconds waiting for guys to get open. He can just get the ball out of his hands. So I still see that kind of upside. Don't see that with Thielen. I don't personally see that with Williams, not with Amon Ross St. Brown there. And then Moore, who Adam talked about, really has a good chance to just be like a third target in a really bad pass game.
3: Okay. And then for season long, so it was easily Musgrave last time. I'm really curious. He, I think he probably would be fourth on this list, but Dan is so high on him, so I want to hear this. <laughs> We've got Musgrave, Greg Dulcich, who you said you like, Jawan Johnson, and Mike Jasicki. You want me to go
2: first or, or yeah. Uh... Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It would still be a must for me. Uh, one thing that anyone who listens to this podcast or FFT or FFT and five knows is I swing for upside. I, yeah. if, I'm not, if I'm not first, I'm last in fantasy football. I don't play for the low ceiling type Make players. The,
0: that, you came up with that slogan, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I created that myself, Adam. That's yeah, great. just on the spot. That's how brilliant. That's amazing. I am. Yeah, it's truly how brilliant. You know what? I am. I'm going
0: to throw another one out there. Let, let me just bang. say something, Adam, Sing before you bang. throw anything out there. Yeah, yeah.
2: Did you get? Did you get uh, a sixty second? Um, sixty seconds of time spent on this show just basically praising you this entire time like jacob did for me no you're <laughs> not adam okay so. we jacob and i spoke off air and decided we thought we he didn't you tell need you anything it. off you air. I, know
0: I told him you Total. needed it i asked him to do that for you oh so uh, he it, said i needed it I was yeah
3: adam <laughs> adam is really really important to this podcast as well to this group dynamic because no, dan, you don't have to just say no 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 dan and i definitely have a tendency to put on the rose colored glasses like get our you know kind of that is true Like, get our heads in the clouds about things, and Adam, like, carries a lot more skepticism and, like, is a grounding force for us. Like, when we're getting out of control, like, he plays devil's advocate in a very important way. Well, I mean, it's funny, because I think that
0: all the things you say about these guys, I I just, most rookies don't make a big impact in fantasy. You know, especially Especially a tight end. Especially a tight end, and especially guys that are drafted outside the top, like, 40 picks. I mean, you talk about round two wide receivers. For those of you who listen to our draft night, episode after the I think it was me Jamie and Heath after the second day like no I don't think Marvin Mims is going to have any impact because LaVisca Chenault and Paris Campbell were drafted in the same range and it's more players like that than it is like DK Metcalf now you talk about a guy like uh, Jonathan Mingo who's drafted early in the second round it's actually a pretty big difference the guy drafted Mm -hmm. in the first 10 picks of round two compared to the end of round two it's like a guy going eighth overall compared to a guy going 28th overall so once you get past the top 40 or so picks unlikely that that uh, running back's different right because they fall unlikely that these guys are going to make big impacts as rookies so I, I sort of always lean toward veterans not always by I, I i favor veterans so there will be some of that uh my I, I don't know did you go ahead rank your tight ends? sorry dan
2: so yeah i mean look i'm i'm, I'm swinging for upside here I, I just don't have much interest in anyone here but musgrave and dolcic like i i don't see the juan johnson hype at all whatsoever i understand there's a path i guess to volume which is kind of to me seems completely <laughs> like made up and i'm uh, pie and i pie in the sky whatever you want to call it like look Juwan johnson has not made an impact at the nfl level for a long time now despite being we're, we're hurt we're told that he's supposed to and he wasn't a good like he wasn't that good of a prospect to begin with so i personally don't understand him at all jasecki is another player where i'm just like what have we seen at the NFL level that leads me to believe he's anything but a bust? So at least with Musgrave and Dolchich, their younger prospects I think haven't proven yet that they can't get the job done. Dolchich even at times looked really like a potential fantasy tight end one at times last year, like a back end, more back end. But obviously the addition of Mims hurts him there. So I go I guess I'd go Musgrave, Dolchich, Jiseki, Johnson.
0: Dolchich, Musgrave, Johnson, Gosicki
2: for me. I like how different we pronounce some of those names.
0: Right. <laughs> who, do you, who do you think pronounced it properly?
2: I know I pronounced it properly. Yeah,
0: no, I, I don't think I don't think it was you. Listen, guys, we're in mid-season form in that we're taking way too long. We have 15 minutes left <laughs> of the show and we covered one topic. So we'll go faster when we come back on Fantasy Football today.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
0: Our second question today, questionable—well, second uh, topic, rather, or category. Questionable long-term outlook, but players who could contribute early on. Jacob, you are nominating Rams wide receiver Puka Nakua, and Dan is going to talk about Titans running back Tyje Spears. Um, So let's talk about Puka Nakua, late-round pick of the Rams.
3: Yeah. So Nakua only ran 507 routes at the collegiate level, which is way, uh, way smaller sample size than we typically get for um, collegiate prospects is normally over a thousand. Um, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. Um, but the per route data that we saw from him was absolutely insane. And if he ends up being a good player, I think it's going to just be another example why per route data is so important um, because he never was able to put together a full season. He played in some really run heavy offenses. He had a transfer, he had injuries. Um, but when he was on the field, he had the highest yard per route run rate of any player in this class. In fact, um, among players who qualified, who have at least 500 routes run in their career, his yard per route run rate is higher than anyone other than Jalen Waddell among receivers taken um, in the first five rounds over the last five years. So higher than T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Eddie Brown, Defonday Smith, C. D. Lamb, Puka Nakua. Um, so maybe a name to know uh, because the Rams really, I mean, after... Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. And Nakua was targeted on 31% of his career routes, which is the highest in the class. Um, And he was targeted on 38% of his routes the last time we saw him in 2022. So fifth round pick could definitely, like, earn volume um, if he gets on the field.
0: All right. And Tajay Spears, I know, is someone out of Tulane that you really liked going into the draft. Now he's Derek Henry's backup. Does not have an ACL in one of his legs, apparently. Uh, So... <laughs> Not necessarily a great long term outlook, but maybe Tajay Spears can help us early on.
2: Yeah, tore his ACL in 2020 and then was uh, revealed that he doesn't have it intact. So definitely not more of a dynasty play. This is more of a potential redraft. And what you want to do at the end of your redraft drafts is find somebody who has upside to help you win the league. And in my opinion, with Tajay Spears, the reason he has so much upside for redraft is because of Derrick Henry's advanced age, his recent injury history, and we know he's missed a lot of time. And Spears has already proven that he can handle a workhorse role. He did it at Tulane. I know he's not the prototypical size, but it doesn't matter. You watch the violence here runs with you watch how low he runs to the ground 1052 of his 1586 rushing yards last season came after contact which is unbelievably impressive you watch him then at the senior bowl and you see what what he can do in the one-on-ones as a receiver 95th percentile hand size so i think that projects well and Remember last season before things got off track with the Titans, with Ryan Tannehill's injury and everything that kind of turned with that offense. In the first four games, four, three of those first four games, Dontrell Hillier got four targets at least in those in the passing game. I think that's going to be the role for Tajay Spears early until potentially, you know, he would have to, you know, to be a big time fantasy asset. We would have to ha- see more playing time. That would probably be a Derrick Henry injury. But other than that, I feel like he can immediately impact the passing game. He had 21 carries of 15 or more yards last season, which shows he can also hit the doubles in addition to hitting the home runs. And one thing I really wanted to see for him, I liked his style in any kind of blocking scheme guys, because he did run at two lane behind, uh, some power gap and some zone, but you could see it. He is just the perfect fit for a zone blocking scheme with that one cut ability and that violent down. Hill style and the Titans run a lot of zone. So I really like that. Throwing one more thing to help this potential uh you know breakout if Derrick Henry were to miss time. It's Peter Skaronski. They got, in my opinion, the best uh offensive lineman in this class overall. I know some's like, oh, maybe he can't play tackle, maybe he can't. I don't care. You get him on the field, he's gonna help you in the run game immediately. So Tajay Spears is someone who it out of all these late backs that you're gonna take in your drafts, to me, he has the most upside if there were to be an injury to the number one uh back on that roster.
0: I did think it was funny that you uh, called twenty nine years old advanced age. <laughs> it's good. But For a running back that's incredibly. Yeah, advanced it is. Age. It is. He's got. He's got a walker. Um, all yeah. right, l- let's do some rankings, Jacob. Guide us.
3: Yeah, so I uh, really like Spears. The data that I found on him um, is really, really exciting. Of course, we don't know how he's going to hold up. Jay is a guy who I've heard um, him compared to in terms of the uh, ACL injury. So the guys that I have him. Ranked here, I think most people are clearly taking over him, but I want to hear um, thoughts on him compared to Jalen Warren, Elijah Mitchell, and Tyler Adjir. Yeah, so no. obviously with... Oh, yeah, go
2: ahead. I'm not go taking
0: first, yeah. I'm not taking him over. For Mitchell. Dynasty.
2: Oh, for Dynasty. Dynasty. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'd take him over those
2: guys. Yeah. Um, You know, Dynasty, uh, I'm a little concerned with the ACL stuff, but right. at the same time, I'm also thinking like, Do we really need to worry about long-term health with this position where there's just so few guys playing eight, nine years anyway. If I could get four good years out of Tajay Spears, I think I'm kind of okay with that in Dynasty. So for me, he's definitely ahead of all these guys. The only person who would kind of come close for me is Elijah Mitchell, a player who I really like, and I'm not so sure how long-term the Christian McCaffrey thing is. Like, I think I could even see a scenario where maybe in one or two years, they they either look to trade him or or cut him and uh, create some salary cap space there. So I would probably go Spears, Mitchell,
3: Warren, Algier. Wow, okay. I, I'd so, probably
0: go Spears, Mitchell, Algier, Warren.
3: I think most people would prefer those guys. Maybe not Jalen Warren, but Jalen Warren had a sneaky, like, really good year last year. Um, I was really going in the preseason did. two. I think most people would prefer those veterans to Spears. I feel like people are really overreacting to the news with Spears, and I think the point that you brought up, Dan, is really important. They're like, at this point this low of a dynasty prospect, you're really not counting on more than a few years anyway. So like if he gets through his first contract, that's being baked into his price. You're right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I, I think I agree with you, but I I think consensus has him lower.
0: Yeah, I know it's tough to agree with him. Um, (laughs) I know you wanted to do uh, some Puka Nakua rankings. Let's just do this real quick. We'll go to our next topic.
3: Uh yeah, so somebody that Dan's gonna talk about is Tyler Scott. I'm curious, like Nakua, Tyler Scott, Khalil Sheer, or like Kyle Phillips, who a lot of people think could be a sleeper this year since Tennessee didn't draft anybody. You want to go first or me, Adam? So
0: Nakua, Tyler Scott, Khalil Shakir, and Tyquan Kyle. Thornton,
2: Phillips? Kyle, and Tyquan Thornton and, and uh, Xavier Hutchinson throw no, them in there. Too.
0: Uh I, <laughs> I god jeez. Um <laughs> I don't really th- I would probably take Tyler Scott first. Um and then Taekwon Thornton. Hutchinson. I don't I mean after that I don't really expect these guys to have, make big NFL impacts. But
2: which is know. fair because most of uh, most day three players don't. Khalil Shakir is coming, man. Oh, Shakir, I
0: re- Shakir, yeah. I, I don't Khalil mind Shakir. him.
2: I I think for me, it's a clear like him. Uh, three-tier for me is Tyquan Thornton first. I still loved his evaluation last year. I don't love the Patriots as your landing spot, but things will get better there. And I even think this year we're going to see a big jump from Mac Jones in that past game with actual real coaching uh, finally there. So it would be Thornton, Scott, and Shakir as my clear top three there. And then it would be uh, Nakua, Hutchinson, and Phillips for me with probably Nakua and Phillips uh, fourth and fifth and then and Hutchinson sixth. I didn't see it with Hutchinson. I'll be honest.
3: Hutchinson, like Nakua, is another guy who had really, really good per-route data, um, and Greg Cassell has compared him to—he says he gets Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas vibes from him. Okay. You know, you know not a great athlete, but, like, somebody who just gets open, and runs really crisp routes um, and draws targets, and there's some target ambiguity in Houston, so— I think it's at least interesting.
0: So yeah, this is Houston wide receiver Xavier Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. Dan, this is late round flyers, our third category. Jacob just made the case for Xavier Hutchinson. Dan likes Tyler Scott, Bears wide receiver out of Cincinnati. Um, So I don't know. Is there anything you guys want to expand on that? Dan, why do you like uh, Tyler Scott?
2: Yeah, Scott to me is a player who you watch the film and you immediately see. Okay, so first thing you'll see, you don't even have to watch the film. Go type in Tyler Scott highlights and wait for the East Carolina game. The slant that he took the ha- took the house there, the angle he beat on the corner and the safety there. I didn't see a single wide receiver in this class beat that angle, and that beating those angles reminded me of Jamison Williams of Jalen Waddle. And if you go further back of when you used to watch Antonio Brown during his college games to beat that kind of angle on a slant, Odell Beckham used to do it in the prime too. It shows an incredible amount of breakaway speed. And that's his defining trait. He ran a four, four, which kind of killed him in the draft process because he's only 5'10, 177. So he needed to run and he was been clocked in the past. By the way, he was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Like th- when Bruce Feldman wrote him up, he clocked him at four. He, I think in the past he ran a four nine, but for whatever reason that day, he ran a four, four. I don't care about that. He has so much speed on tape. He's got a strong, lower, uh, ha- a thick half. A, sorry, a, a thick, lower half. <laughs> yeah, I, I got strong, it didn't even occur to me. He's got a strong, <laughs> thick, lower half, and that's because he played running back at the collegiate level, and he's just converting to receiver. He's still very raw, which I like. Eighth percentile, 10-yard split, it's got the quickness. 96, 89th percentile, broad and vertical jumps. Has the explosiveness. Has the ability to high point there. And you put all those things together, and then I come up with my favorite stat, basically, of anyone this draft season. He had 11 touchdowns over the last two seasons. Every single one of them was at least 20 yards. He's just a big play waiting to happen. So I love Tyler Scott.
0: All right. Listen, I've got to speed things up. I want to spend uh, spend time on some running backs as well. So we're we're going to take a break to recap uh, some of the late-round picks late-round NFL draft picks that you should be targeting in Dynasty, Puka Nakua, Rams wide receiver, Xavier Hutchinson, Texans wide receiver, Tyler Scott, uh, Bears wide receiver, and Tajay Spears as a guy who could contribute at running back early in his career if Derrick Henry gets hurt. We also like what the Packers did in round two, Jaden Reed out of Michigan State, and tight end Luke Musgrave. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about some running backs that could play a con- complementary role in year one. Uh, maybe you're sleeping on these guys. We'll be right back. All right, it's my turn to present a player to the group. Yes. Show and tell. I'm bringing yeah. in my tank today, Tank Bigsby of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, Tank Bigsby was drafted in the third round, and it's just kind of funny to me that Devon A. Chain went four picks ahead of him, and there's a lot of excitement, it seems, in the fantasy community about. A guy who's five foot nine, one hundred and eighty-five pounds, but they think Dolphins running backs are old, not that good. So chain has got this chance. Bigsby, six foot, two hundred and thirteen pounds, goes four picks later, and nobody really seems to care. To me, he feels like an obvious handcuff right away to uh, to Travis Etienne. But I also think Travis Etienne had. Let me make sure I get the stat right, but um, he had eight carries from the three yard line or closer. He Scored on only mm-hmm. two of them. Yep. I watched the tape. Didn't love it. Not to say he can't get better there. He was basically a rookie. It was his first year. Um, I felt the same exact way about Ken Walker. Ken Walker also struggled near the goal line. So think about everything I'm about to say for Charbonnet. Certainly could apply for uh, for uh, sorry for Bigsby. Certainly could apply for Charbonnet and Walker. But um, Etienne doesn't really look like that between the tackles, short yardage, rusher. I think Bigsby does. He had five carries last year in college at Auburn from the three-yard line or closer. He scored on all five of them. So I actually do think that if we're not taking Bigsby seriously from a fantasy standpoint this year, we might want to consider what it means for Travis Etienne. He could take him off the field. And Etienne, maybe Etienne is best suited to be like an Alvin Kamara, and this is a Mark Ingram type of player. So I think Bigsby is is a a sleeper and underrated player right now. Um, Dan and Jacob, you both wanted to talk about Minnesota running back Dwayne McBride for some reason. We did a super flex draft yesterday. No, that's not what I was saying. Next thought. For some reason, we did a super flex draft uh, yesterday, and Dan took a different Vikings running back, I believe. So, what was that all about? After Cook, after Madison, you didn't take Dwayne McBride, but you like him. So, discuss, Dan.
2: Yeah, actually, I was going to caveat that by bringing it up. The running back who I took was Ty Chandler, who was my favorite value prospect in the entire class. So he was a 24-year-old prospect, bounced around a few teams. That's why he went late in the draft. But I really like both Chandler and McBride. I feel like the Viking staff has done an excellent job identifying value plays at this running back position that – are falling for reasons that don't make all that much sense to me. So McBride, I understand a little bit more his fall. I feel like Chandler was based more on the age. McBride, okay, there are major warts in the profile, so I'm going to go over them first. And the first one is... He had a massive, massive, massive fumbling issue at the at the collegiate level. I'm getting it up right now because it's so crazy. These stat, a fumble one of every 44 touches for McBride. <laughs> so that is going to be something that he has to fix immediately to get on the field. But I believe he can fix that. We've seen players do a really good job taking the coaching, and that's something you can kind of really easily fix. It's like I would forgot what it is. The five point stance, whatever. T- whatever Tom Coughlin taught Tiki Barber, call him up, let him let get him the, in on that. It's the five
0: and, finger death punch. Or something there you like go. That,
2: right? Just use that. So I'm not worried about that. There's also not much of a receiving profile here. He wasn't targeted often. He wasn't used five career receptions there. Pass blocking also wasn't something I saw him do a good job of on his tape, but he certainly has the size to do it. But if you take all of those things away and just look, and then finally the knock that obviously got him to fall in the draft, most part was breakaway speed. Like he's not a speed back by any means, right? Like this is just not what he is. He didn't even run the 40 time. But if you take all that away and just think of the, and look at the things that he does well, he forced missed tackles on a 36% rate mm-hmm. last year. That trailed only Bijan Robinson and De- and Javante Williams since PFF began charting that in 2014. He had 1,700 yards on 233 carries, 7.3 average, 19 touchdowns. yards after contact per attempt, the second best. Some backs didn't even average that overall. 27 carries of 15-plus yards. That's where he lives, the doubles range. 76 force missed tackles. That's top seven as well. 6'2", 215, but he looks like a 225-pounder out there. And the thing that I think he does better than anyone in this class is the vision cuts, the ability to process those blocks and understand where the hole is going to be and then make the cuts using your vision and your anticipation of where those holes are going to be. It's something that you see dominant players that didn't have good, you know, athletic profiles, at the NFL level, Dalvin cook, horrible combine. Everyone knocked him. How do you draft this guy? He had a 30 inch vertical four One of the best running backs, in the NFL, Nick Chubb. Oh, wow. Look, he doesn't run fast. How's he going to work in the NFL? One of the best in the NFL. Those are vision type backs. They can process the blocks really well. Dwayne McBride is another great example of that. There is a play. Uh, I'm trying to remember this play. Now I have it in my notes. So give me a second The play against, um, Crap, let me find this now. The The Western Kentucky, in the second quarter, they have in my notes, he made a cutback on a run that just in the open field to get another 10 to 12 yards at the end of a run that I was just like, holy crap, that looks like immediate NFL level. And the most important thing here is the fit, too. This is my final thing I'll say. He's the type of back that when you're talking about that kind of profile, like a vision cut back, you know, who has all those cut back moves and can understand and process space, you need to pair him with his own scheme. It's the most important thing. And I don't know if any, there are teams that ran – just as much, but I don't know if any team ran more zone than the Vikings last year. It was almost to a fault. Like when they played certain teams that matched up good against zone as a defense, the giants are a great example. They could stop zone run teams. They couldn't stop power gap all year. They, all they did was run zone. They didn't pull anybody. So this is a zone team and he goes right into the perfect uh, fit for his style uh, of running.
0: All right. And the last guy we're going to talk about is Rams running back, Zach Evans, another late round pick. uh, Someone that Sean McVay said compliments cam Akers Well, Mm-hmm. And, um, let's, uh, yeah, go for it. Jacob, Zach Evans, what do you like about him?
3: Yeah. So he's a former top recruit. Um, he was expected to be an early round pick ended up falling all the way to round six, had a pretty tumultuous career. But, um, if you dig a little deeper with Evans, there's some really exciting stuff. So I look at the discrepancy between every running back and their backfield teammates in terms of all their efficiency stats. Um, I'll write an article about this, um, for the pro level guys on sports line. it be published later, um, in June. Uh, This process helped me to identify Damian Pierce as one of the most undervalued backs in last year's class. And among the 2023 rookies, Evans had by far the best score. And that's really exciting to me because he played alongside some NFL caliber running backs. So at TCU, he was in the same backfield as Kendra Miller, who was picked in the third round by the Saints. And Evans played 15 games to Miller's 19, and he produced 185 PPR points to Miller's 166. He had more attempts and rushing yards in fewer games, and his efficiency stats were notably better than Kendre Miller, who people really like. I like Kendre Miller, um, and he also doubled his receiving production. And that's something we've seen from Evans with both teams that he's played for. Is he's been targeted at almost double the rate of the other running backs in the backfield. Um, in 2022, Quinshawn Judkins dominated. He was like one of the best running backs in college football. And so it's it's a weird profile to see Evans never even lead his team in rushing, but. He lands in one of the most wide open backfields in the NFL, and the Rams did trade up to get him. I'll be it just in the sixth round, um, but it's a pretty weak class overall for dynasty purposes. And I feel like after the first twelve or fifteen players are off the board, Evans has as much upside as anybody. It really would it surprise you guys at all for him to take this backfield over from no. Cam Akers?
0: No, they have. Akers has had a pretty underwhelming career. Finished strong. Six games last year against extremely easy competition. Teams that were all twenty second or worse against running backs. Um, he's had you know off field issues with the Rams, so they thought about trading him. Uh, no, it wouldn't surprise me if he leapfrogged him at some point. And also like Kyron Williams, you know, that, that doesn't. There's not a lot of competition there in the backfield.
3: Yeah. yeah, I just I don't think it's very—I mean, six-round picks don't hit very often, but I also don't think it's very often that we get a player like this who falls in a perfect situation, and like he's been very productive every time he's been given an opportunity.
0: Yeah, six-round picks don't hit very often, but Pacheco, uh, James Robinson, these guys were late-round picks for undrafted picks. It does happen, so this is very worthwhile. If it's going to
2: happen, it happens at running back, it feels exactly, like. yes, with yes really. absolutely.
0: So uh, I do have to cut things short. We wanted to talk about one last thing, and that was our cold pizza— Happens. <laughs> I had a bite of cold pizza today, and I talked about this with Dave. I've had pizza five straight five straight days. By the way, it is bad. <laughs> but when I'm holding cold pizza in my hand, and I know there's another three minutes before it's ready, I cannot not take a bite. Like I three have three
2: minutes. What are
0: you putting it in on? I put it in the oven.
2: Oh, the thank God oven. you didn't say microwave. Thank God you didn't say microwave. You think I put pizza in the microwave for three minutes? Some weirdos did blow it up. Some people- I don't know. That's I've never put seconds. a pizza pizza in a microwave. I don't know how long it would take. I don't okay. wanna know. I how don't long think you've ever used a microwave
0: before. You put a slice of pizza in the microwave for three minutes, you're gonna start a fire.
2: You know what? I, that's better than eating the pizza coming out of the microwave. I'd rather start a fire in my house, extinguish that with a thing in my, by my kitchen, than eat that piece of pizza coming out of the microwave. The mushy. How do, How no, anyone eats a piece of pizza out of a microwave. It's terrible. That's one of the most appalling things you can do. It's up there with throwing a ton of ranch on your pizza. I hate when people pour ranch on pizza. What are you doing, people? This is, <laughs> this is not meant to be ranch, tomato sauce, and cheese. That's not how this was intended, and it doesn't taste good. I've never even heard of that, but to oh, so the the, the three people at the pizzeria that Dan was at the other day who do this—no, it's the this. big college thing. You're uh, pouring ranch on pizza. What are you doing, drunk ranch? But look, <laughs> the only way to, the only true way to maximize your pizza—and I'll say this—cold pizza is not that bad. You take it out of the fridge, you eat it. It's better than microwave. And you know, yeah, you want to heat it up. It's pizza fine. But the best way to do it—you got a cast iron pan, little olive oil. You throw it on there. Some people say medium heat for two minutes. I think that's what Adam said. I kind of like low heat for a little bit longer. I Fine. know Adam's impatient. I just, yeah, he I am impatient. He can't wait three <laughs> minutes. He's got to, you know, I understand. He's got to get the, get it back into the the sink once he uses the pan, wash it out, and clear out his space so he can brush his teeth again. I understand. He doesn't want clutter <laughs> in that sink. I, I totally get it. But look, you wait a couple extra minutes, and it's just a phenomenal slice of pizza off of that cast iron pan.
0: All right, Jacob, give me give me 20 seconds on how you eat cold pizza, and then I'll tell Dan a story at the end of the show.
3: If you want traps like these, <laughs> you just throw the cold pizza in the trash. Yeah, oh, he doesn't eat pizza.
0: hundred percent. Good call.
3: No, no, no. I, I'm an air fryer guy for sure. I'm a truther. I love People it the air fryer. told me about the air yeah, fryer? Yeah, same.
0: Same. I got to get one. Okay. All right. So, Dan, I went on vacation. I came back last Wednesday night. So, I've been home for eight days. Where'd you go? I went to Florida. I went to see my family, go to Disney. Oh, nice. So we took a 10-day trip there. I've been back now for 8 days. There's been something. Oh, no. In my room that I'm looking <laughs> at right now. God. It has been there for at least 8 days. I haven't picked it up yet. It is a dead cockroach in the oh, corner of no. my room. Adam. I know you think I have a roach-infested roach house, but
2: this is terrible. We left They're for ten back. days,
0: and there's, there was only one. I only found one. So is
2: it? A, are they the bigger or the smaller? It's a, kind? It's
0: a fairly big black one. It's, oh it's no, it's, it's the big
2: kind. Yeah. Wings or no wings?
0: I can't tell. It's upside down. That's now. a
2: huge problem because when I lived in Astoria, I had a horrible situation with cockroaches. They called them water bugs, I think it's another name for them. And there was the flying ones. And they yeah, would fly. those, are, those are scary. Oh,
0: terrifying! The big
2: flying ones are go. scary. I gotta, I gotta hire Jacob guy. Gibbs for security. I don't know what you're gonna do, Adam, but th- you can't live like this. That's all I know. Because you wake up in the middle of the night and you see one of those things, it's like a frightening experience. It's terrible! It's terrifying. All right, we're out of here, everybody. Thank Why are you, very you much. leaving it there? Why are you just leaving it there dead? I,
0: I need to go pick it up. I don't want to do it. I just don't want to do
2: it. Honestly, maybe I, you leave it there as like a message to the rest. That's what I'm, I'm saying.
0: Like, that's what I said. <laughs> Let the others see what their fate is. All right, I gotta go. <laughs> gotta go pick up the kid from school. Thank you all very much for watching and listening. Beyond the box score, will continue. Hopefully next week
3: Um, and uh, have a great weekend see ya